So you're in charge of the former presidential report from 2016, the Democratic National Committee. Who else? The Biden campaign. Do that one too. <laughs> you were in charge of the, the Biden report as well? Yes. How did you land that? Or is it just like you're the go-to kid now? Um, I hope I'm the go-to kid <laughs> now. I mean, those are kind of the premier clients in the country, wouldn't you say? Yeah, they, they definitely take a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, this is the Great Battlefield Podcast. I'm Nathaniel G. Perlman. A great political battle is being fought right now between progressives and the forces of reaction on the other side. This show is about the political entrepreneurs and other progressive leaders who are finding new or improved ways to fight. A fairly unglamorous political profession is called compliance, the business of making sure that campaigns and organizations follow state or federal election laws around disclosure of the money that they raise and spend. When compliance specialists do their job well, you never hear about them. My guest today, Taryn Vogel, has quietly led the FEC compliance efforts of the Obama reelect from 2012, the Clinton campaign in 2016, and in between the DNC. She now runs a company called Bluebird Consulting LLC, through which she provides her services to a number of democratic organizations and campaigns. We had a good talk about Taryn's path to this particular specialty. You should listen. So first my sponsor, then my interview with Taryn Vogel of Bluebird Consulting. This episode is brought to you by Graphicacy. Graphicacy is an analytic design firm that can help you advance the mission of your organization using your own real data and information. They are 21st century visual communicators who create interactive graphics, motion graphics, and data visualizations. You can find Graphicacy at graphicacy.com. That is G-R-A-P-H-I-C-A-C-Y.com. With Graphicacy's help, you can visualize a better world. Taryn, would you mind introducing yourself and giving me a quick biography? Sure. My name is Taryn Vogel. I'm originally from Charlotte, North Carolina, um, but then we moved around a lot um, as a kid. And so we ended up in the Bay Area, um, and that's where I went to high school um, and then went to college in L.A., went to Loyola Marymount University. And after that, I knew I wanted to get involved in politics. So I just thought, hey, I'll move to D.C. I drove across the country at the end of the summer um, after graduation, and it was 2004, and I stopped in Ohio because that's where my grandma lives, a lot of extended family lives. I happened to get involved with the local congresswoman's race. Um, my uncle, his boss, was friends with her, and she was hiring, so I got a job on a campaign, knew nothing about it, um, but I started knocking on doors, started making phone calls, and that's how I got involved in campaigns. Where did the interest in politics come from? I don't know. I was just thought like my parents weren't particularly political at the time. They are now. I think I was just interested about how things work, how our country ran. I loved history and I think I just saw it as history in the making. So did I understand this right that on the way to DC you got involved in a campaign in Ohio? Does that mean you didn't make it to DC at that time? I did not make it to DC. 
<laughs> and uh, what was it about that campaign that made you want to stay in politics? At first, I just needed a job. You work with a lot of young people, you know, and I just, I had fun. It was fun and it was different and I got to move around a lot. Was there paid work? Yeah. Yeah. Looking back, it was not very good pay, um, but I was going from making nothing and, um, you know, I was staying with my grandma, so it didn't really matter <laughs> when I got paid. <laughs> <laughs> so what were the next few things that happened after that? How did you work your way into the workforce? So after that congressional campaign, um, I did make it to D.C. like that spring of, um, I guess, 2005. But I was only there for a month or two. I tried to get a job on the Hill, cold calls to offices, and just wasn't finding anything. Um, But then a friend from the campaign in Ohio, he called me because he was working on Tim Kaine's gubernatorial campaign um, down in Virginia Beach. So I started doing that again. Um, I moved to Virginia Beach. Again, knocked on a lot of doors and made a lot of phone calls. And it was a lot of fun. I really, I really enjoyed it. When I uh, tried canvassing, uh, which was for a perg, I found it at first, I was pretty shy. And I found it very hard to go up to the doors and talk to people. Um, Of course, in that case, you also were asking for money. By the end of a full summer of doing it, I was pretty good at, you know, giving a rap and and reading the person at the door and being persuasive. But at the beginning, it was really hard. Did you find it hard? Yes. I was very uncomfortable with it. Um, But yeah, like you just start doing it. You know, you go knock on doors with a friend who's across the street and, you know, you take a step back from the door. So you give the person their space, you wave, you smile. And most of the time they're, they're great. And if they're not interested, they just say they're not interested. I know a lot of other people might have different experiences with with that, but face-to-face, people are usually really friendly. Um, even if they say they're not going to vote for your candidate, it's easy to hang up on someone, but it's hard to slam the door in their face. And so I, I had good experiences with that. You stayed through the duration of the Kane campaign? I did, yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, th- and that was a good one, right? It was a good one, yeah. 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 He won in 2005. Right. That's a little bit of uh, getting the bug is when it, actually goes well and you can celebrate. Yeah. Yeah. That was a good one. Um, yeah. So then I, I didn't even try to do, you know, campaigns or stuff on the Hill anymore. I just stuck with campaigns after that. What was next? So then, um, I went to Montana for John Tester's Senate race. I moved there in February of 2006, so I missed the worst of the winter in Montana. This time I was a field director for the Billings area. I love Montana. Um, I had done an internship there in college and um, had vacationed there a number of times. It's a good race. Strong candidate. Yep. Yeah. He's he's a really cool person. <laughs> and so it seems like, you know, one thing led to another as you yes. started to build a career in the space. Yes. Yeah. Someone you know, know someone over here who's going to send you to them. Like a lot of connections starting. How did you end up on the Hillary campaign in 07, 08? I remember it was a really tough decision about if I wanted to do 
Hillary or Obama. And I don't really remember what tipped the scales. Yeah, I ended up there in 2007 in New Hampshire. It was doing field stuff still. Did it feel different on a presidential? It did. It did feel bigger. Yeah. And it was, you know, with Senate and gubernatorial races, certainly, you know, most people know the name of the person that you're talking about. But especially with like Hillary Clinton, you never got anyone saying, wait, who? Or when? what race is she running for? So the scale of it definitely felt different. So it seems like after that is when you made your transition into the world of compliance uh, and the fateful decision. How did, how did that come about? Yeah, so I stayed with Hillary's campaign through all of the primary season. Yeah, because I ended up back in Montana at the very end. <laughs> um, and um, I think I was just burned out on field. I had spent months and months just driving around the country. And I'm, I'm really an introvert. I wasn't like in my early 20s anymore. I was tired. <laughs> I was just getting tired. So it was, I guess, the summer of 2008. I think it was a Hillary like, you know, listserv that just sent out job postings. Um, and I saw a compliance job for a Senate race in North Carolina. And I was like, oh, well, I'm from North Carolina. Let's give that a shot. I've never done compliance, but I'll try something different. Kay Hagan. It was Kay Hagan. Yeah. 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 So I applied to that. And um, like you mentioned with connections, I got that one because I applied to that and they that campaign had a consultant who was who was hiring for that job on the campaign. And one of her best friends was someone who I shared an office with on John Tester's race in Montana. The person I shared an office with was one of my references. So when I sent in my resume and references, and Marie looked at it and she said, wait a minute, let me just call my good friend and ask her if, even though Taryn's never done compliance, but if she would be good at it. And turns out I would be. So, <laughs> uh, What do you think it takes to be good at compliance? I think details. Details, most of all. I focus a lot on like the numbers. Even though it's not like a finance role, you know, the numbers are so important. Just being able to know who's over limit really quickly, you know, double check to make sure that like your books balance. And yeah. So for people who don't know what compl the word compliance means in a political context, can you explain that? Sure. So my main focus is FEC reporting. Um, so Federal Election Commission. Yes. So our end goal is to produce an FEC report that is accurate and on time. <laughs> They're always due on a certain day. We have to make sure that all the information that goes into that is correct. So there's sort of two pieces to that. There's making sure that the numbers are correct, making sure that it's it's balanced to your accounting books, making sure that you know the certain line numbers line up correctly. So like your total contributions from individuals is correct, your total operating expenditures is correct, you know, your total refunds is correct, and your total cash on hand is correct. The other piece of it is the meat of the report. So looking at the donors, you can't take donors that are not citizens or green card holders. You can't 
take over a certain limit. And then, you know, once you reach the primary limit, you have to be sure to redesignate it to the general election. And then you have to track that number and you have to inform the donor of that. And then, you know, aside from individual donors, things like contributions from PACs, contributions from unregistered committees or partnerships, just kind of making sure that who is giving to you is permissible. I mean, it's kind of like a tax return for a campaign. It's the disclosure of how you raised money and how you spent money. Yeah. 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 And I think it's where you and I overlapped unwittingly at that point, because I would, I'm willing to bet you used software from NGP. I definitely use it every single day. (laughs) And I had built software to do these kind of disclosure reports and built a company out of it. So you probably have cursed me more than a few times. (laughs) I have thanked you more than I have cursed you. (laughs) Always try to keep that balance right. What I know about it is that there's a lot of, as you put it, details. There might be a contribution that went, that's earmarked, that went through some conduit that you have to link properly to make sure that it's entered in the database so that it comes out correctly on the report. What line number, every single thing goes on has to be coded in. Yeah. Right. And so it's, it's this combination of careful data entry and duplicate combining and uh, just being aware of the rules and, and, and being up to date and taking lots of data streams and filling out all these things. Right. Yeah. It's not the most glamorous thing on earth. It's not. No. (laughs) (laughs) But why is it important? It's something that I think campaigns can get in a lot of trouble for if it's done incorrectly. And it's something that just needs to be done it doesn't need to be anything that's like front and center. It only becomes a big deal when you screw up. Right. Yeah. I always like to say like, I'm, if anyone knows that my job exists, then I'm doing something wrong. It's very much a background thing. When we file these reports, they become public immediately. And my goal is for anyone looking at the reports to just be really bored with them (laughs) to look at them and go, well, looks like they're running for office. What's next? Nothing to see here, just a normal campaign. That's what we're going for. So as you were being introduced to this on this campaign, what attracted you to it? I mean, like you said, you were burned out on field, but it takes us, I think, a special person to put up with the needs of compliance. I've known a bunch of those people and I honor their work. Why was it a fit? I like numbers, you know, like in field, when I did that, you know, at the end of the day, you put in like your number of contacts and I always had a competition with someone about, you know, who could knock on more doors, who could talk to more people. A lot of the numbers carried over to this. I like paying attention to details. I like following rules. I was at a point where I was delighted to sit at a computer and listen to music and make sure that every little thing is correct. Did you find responsibility for the budgeting or the books in any way as you started with Hagen? No, we had a separate person who did the accounting. Um, I pretty much stay away from budgeting other than, you know, we know what payroll is coming up and 
you know, here's your outstanding invoices, but um, generally stay away from budgeting. So what was the most dramatic thing that happened in compliance for Hagen? When we were filing 48-hour reports, you know, because as we lead up to an election, you have to file contributions over a certain amount within 48 hours of receipt. I had printed out the report, and at that time, you had to file by fax. That was before the Senate side did electronic filing. Yeah, yeah exactly. Which was yeah. really stupid. Yeah. <laughs> so um, we, um, we were running against Elizabeth Dole. So someone for Halloween was dressing up as like characters from Wizard of Oz. So I had the 48-hour report prepared and printed it out. And I told my boss, the accountant, because she was signing it as treasurer, um, that I'd done it. And she was like, oh, I'll get it. She was like, I'll just, you know, sign it and fax it. So she signed it and faxed it. She brought it back to me and handed it to me, you know, to file away. And I looked and I was like, um, did you f- fax this whole stack of papers? And she was like, yeah. And I was like, yeah, you know, there's there's pictures of the Tin Man at the end. <laughs> so we sent the FEC these pictures of the Tin Man with like steam coming out of his head and <laughs> walking down the yellow brick road. And um, we anxiously awaited to see if they would post it online, but they didn't. <laughs> We called and we were like, can you take out these pages? And they were like, no, we don't do that. Well, if that's the height of the drama. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> is, I haven't heard that one before. You made it through the end of that campaign? Yep. Yeah. yeah. And what what were you thinking as you came out? I was just thinking, what's next? Um, you know, there weren't, you know, I knew there was, like, I think I was wondering, like, am I going to stay with campaigns? Because then my options are this next year, Virginia or New Jersey. And did I want to do that again? But then um, the DNC came along. So the next spring. So I got lucky with that. How did you connect with the DNC? So the consultant, Anne-Marie Habershaw, who had hired me on the Haken campaign. Who was a friend of mine until her unfortunate death not too long ago. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she became COO of the DNC and she called me and she was like, Hey, I think you're good at FEC reporting and I think you should come here and do the FEC reports for the DNC. So I did. I would think that the DNC might have bigger reports than Kay Hagan. A little bit. Yep. Yeah. Um, there was definitely a learning curve there. She had helped out so much on the Hagan campaign of training like, this is how you do reports. This is how, what needs to go on them. You know, she had really prepared me really well. What was your experience with Anne-Marie? I mean, she is uh, or was a strong character and I would hope a good boss, but what was your experience? Yes, I think think you describe her very well. I worked for her for a long time. Um, Sometimes she could be scary. Um, but she was really good at her job. She expected everyone to be really good at their jobs and to be the best that they could be because that's what she expected of herself. And she didn't have time for any bullshit. I interviewed her on this podcast. And for anyone who uh, knew her, I recommend spending a little time with that because she had an interesting career and, and uh, made a mark in democratic politics. Yeah, she sure did. Yeah. And, you know, like for 
for a long time, she was my boss, but like, I'm, I'm glad she became a friend after I no longer worked for her. So it's, it's, it's unusual and great when you can do, when you can have that kind of relationship with a boss that you think well of. Um, so tell me about working at the DNC. The DNC, I think because I'd been on campaigns for so long and I was interested in politics for so long, I thought, you know, like the DNC, the shining beacon on the hill. <laughs> and it's a great place. But at some point you're like, oh, this is this is just like going to work. And it's also not always that shiny. It might even be a little grungy. Yeah. It's like you're you're like, okay, I'm I'm sitting in a cubicle next, you know, working on a computer. <laughs> <laughs> like a lot of days are like that. And, you know, sometimes you'll catch a glimpse of someone, you know, an elected official coming in and out of the office. But a lot of times you're in an office doing work. You might be doing things a little, you know, that other offices might not be doing, but that's every office. Like everyone does something a little different. Um, so I loved working there. Um, but yeah, at some point you just are like, oh, I, I'm just going into an office building and doing some work. And that's, I mean, sometimes you hear these conspiracy theories about the DNC or something and people make it out like, the, like it's this, I don't know, it's just a lot of people. It's just a lot of operatives, people who've worked on campaigns, people like you who are going about the business of doing pieces of the work of that committee. It's a pretty normal place in, in many ways. It is. Yeah. I think that's what I was kind of surprised about that. I was like, well, this just feels normal. So most people who are in campaign politics are in this business of winning or losing elections. Did you feel like you were in that business as a compliance person? I felt kind of removed from that. Yeah. Yeah. Is that good it, or bad? I mean, I still feel very invested in winning and losing, but, you know, FEC reports are still due after elections are won or lost. It doesn't matter. And the same data gets reported the same way, either way. When you step back from an FEC report, do you think that the way it's all set up makes sense? If you had the chance to reform it or make changes in how campaigns make public, how they raise and spend money, would you have changes to make? Or are you so embedded in one way of doing it that you just go along with it? For certain things, I see the need for changes. I think sometimes like the line numbers that things go on doesn't really make sense. <laughs> 17 operating expenditures or something like that? Yeah. And also that the line numbers are different for different types of committees. So party committees, it's line 21B for operating expenditures, but for campaigns, it's 17. Yeah. Why? That's pretty much the minutia of it. What about the bigger picture? Should there be disclosure uh, rolling rather than on an interim or just like every time you get a contribution, you put it out on the web or should your books be online all the time or look at that panic look. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, would you make big changes or do you think it's basically okay? I think it's basically okay. Um, 
I, I think those big changes you mentioned, because a lot of times there's a lot of cleanup to our data. You know, like we have to. Sometimes you need a team to clean up the data. Yeah. On the bigger campaigns, it's a whole team of people. Um, yeah. I mean, it's. Can you explain why that is? Like, what is the work of cleaning up an FEC report? So a lot of the big pieces are tracking down donor information. Um, donors are required to give their employer an occupation if they give over $200 in aggregate during the campaign cycle or year, depending on the type of committee. Most donors who give online, it's now like you just have to enter that data. But sometimes people just put a dash or an NA or, and we're like, we don't know what that means. <laughs> but if people give by mail, often they'll leave that blank. And even if they're giving below $200 because it's an aggregate, they, they often pop above 200. So we're required to follow up with that donor and try to get their, their information. That's, that's a really time intensive piece. Beyond that, like we have to report, you know, their address. So sometimes people just don't give their address. <laughs> and if you have their email address, you have to like get it out of them. <laughs> like you had mentioned earlier, like just make sure there aren't any duplicates in the system. Um, and if there are, then you have to refund people within 30 days or re reattribute to a joint account holder. And so you have to get that paperwork from the donor and get that permission from the donor to do that. Once they give their money, we still need more information from them or we need permission to do certain things with their money or we have to give it back. Did you come across any interesting stories in your compliance work? Usually with spending money. People are usually very careful. A lot of campaigns might have, the candidate might have like a debit card, but I think there's enough stories out there of campaign funds being abused that everyone is is very careful. I've had candidates ask me like, hey, can I put like $5 for my phone on like the campaign debit card? And I'm like, are you using $5 worth of your phone bill? <laughs> like, and they're like, I'm using my phone exclusively for campaign work. And I'm like, well, then yeah, is campaign work? Then yeah, that's okay. You weren't seeing a lot of corruption and scandal, huh? Oh, never. No, it's, it's going to become public. Everyone knows it'll become public. And I have never been asked to, you know, report something inaccurately. And if I were, I would immediately not work for that <laughs> entity anymore. On the contribution side, you know, occasionally contributions that are not permissible sneak in, but they're refunded in a very timely manner. <laughs> like, usually, I mean, I've seen contributions, you know, like if we can't block them, they're refunded often within 24 hours. You know, and we do our best to block anything that we know will not be permissible. And as soon as we catch it, it, it goes back to the donor. It just isn't anything that we would hold on to. Who tries to give a fake or a wrong contribution to a campaign? I think the biggest culprit are non-citizens who don't realize they can't give. But every entity that I've worked with, you know, requires that we get a copy of a passport, for every donor? No, not for every donor. <laughs> um, if donor has a foreign address or we have any reason to believe like their funds aren't permissible. How would you know if someone didn't have a green card or 
that wasn't a citizen? Well, beyond the address, like their address, we, oh, well, we've used like IP addresses, we've used email addresses, we've used where their bank is located, where their credit card was opened. Do you run lists up against vetting databases or uh, yeah. things yeah. like that? Yeah, I'm not too involved in the vetting side, but yeah, the vetting department on on all campaigns takes a big piece. And, you know, like if something comes in and we're like, mm, I'm not sure about this, they'll take it and they'll they'll research the donor. Somehow working for two and a half years at the DNC didn't dissuade you from continuing to do FEC reports. It did not. What was next? So after that, um, I went to the Obama campaign and I got there same way I got to the DNC. Um, Anne-Marie went to be the COO of the reelect. And after a couple months, she called and said, why don't you come to Chicago? <laughs> so Were they pissed at the DNC that, that <laughs> she was plucking you away? Uh I think she worked it out with them. I think it was okay. <laughs> I think it was okay in the end. Yeah, it's always a little yeah. touchy. Yeah. When you raid the other entity. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how was the Obama reelect for you? It was great. I loved it. Um, I love living in Chicago. I have a couple cousins there, so I had yeah, I got to reconnect with a lot of family, and yeah, I just like Chicago. It was fun. I had a view of the Bean from window um what's the bean um you know the bean oh, in that, millennium oh, the, park yeah that shiny that thing very, i do know that sculpture yeah. yes i i guess i didn't realize it was called the bean but it does yeah. look like a bean yeah. i don't know if that's its official name i don't yeah. i've walked under it yeah it's a very yeah. giant shiny bean yeah yeah but i love the obama campaign it was i mean it was very intense i think it was really a step up from i mean the dnc has its own level of intensity but with the Obama campaign, it's a limited amount of time. It's a sitting president. Everyone is combing through your reports after they're filed. It was challenging. Any stories from that worth telling? I don't know if I want to mention this because it's embarrassing, but <laughs> I did, in terms of reporting, I learned a lesson about checking numbers. There was one report that we filed and there was an error on it, and we didn't catch it, and a reporter caught it. So I had to amend our FEC report on the day that I had filed the original report. And I will never make that mistake again. Sounds like a pretty small glitch. Yeah, it was a glitch, but it was it was on the cover page. <laughs> so it was, it was, yeah, cycle to date totals were incorrect. How did your career move forward after that? So after that, I stayed, um, I stayed on Obama wind down for many years. Um, I think people don't realize that a campaign doesn't end the day after the election. Campaigns are billion dollar organizations. They take a long time to shut down. It's like a full employment project for the compliance. People. It was. Yeah. For a while it was, um, I sat out the 2014 cycle and I just did Obama wind down. Um, I did that because my dad had cancer. So I was like, well, I have this wind down so I can stay and work on that. Actually, that was great. It took 
So I think the campaign terminated in 2018. Six years after. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I didn't, so I did wind down for a few years. Um, and a couple of times it was great. I did. At one point I worked remotely from Puerto Rico for a month. And another time I worked remotely from Vermont for a month. So that was nice. And then um, in 2015, I went back to the Hillary campaign. I got a call to do that. The second Hillary run for president, the one against Trump. I've heard of that campaign. Yep, it's out there. <laughs> what was the office like? It was a good good uh, environment. Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, it was. We worked in an office in Brooklyn. We looked out over Manhattan. It was. Um, made some really good friends on that campaign. Uh, what's your role at Hillary? So I was in charge of doing the FEC reports, the FEC reporting manager. Yeah. And yeah. how many people worked for you? At the end, there were two. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And who did you report to? I reported to the, um, uh, he was the compliance and vetting uh, lead. Um, and so there were like three departments under him. There was a vetting department, a compliance department, and an FEC reporting department. Yeah. And you're the FEC reporting department. Yes. Yeah. And so, I mean, here you are on another national campaign, you know, responsible for a key document that they put out every interim. Did you, what were you thinking about this role? Were you thinking that you were important or unimportant or... Were you excited about the mission? What was the emotions that you were going through in this role? I knew that our work product was very important. Hillary always has gotten a lot of scrutiny, and we didn't want to give a reason for any more. Um, so that's what I like would convey to my team, that your work product becomes incredibly public at some point. So if there's something that looks strange, if there's something you have a question about, let's start asking people. We have a vetting department. We have a compliance department. We have attorneys. We have accountants. We just want to make sure that this is accurate. So you see any red flags, raise them up. Were you watching the the coming combat with Trump? Were you like highly involved in thinking about the campaign and its ups and downs or was it so head down that you didn't even pay attention? It was pretty head down. I was pretty focused on this is what I have to do. Um, you know, whenever, cause we, we all file reports on the same day. So we would definitely look at Trump's reports, you know, just to see what they were doing to compare what they were doing with ours. Just kind of a curious comparison. What was election night like for you? Oh, that was pretty bad. <laughs> <laughs> the whole campaign was invited to the Javits Center. And some of us, they were like, oh, do you want to go like sit on the stage behind where Hillary's going to speak? So I was there <laughs> and, um, sitting on the stage and we're watching the returns. And periodically someone would come out and be like, don't look so upset. <laughs> and we were like, okay. <laughs> and then at one point it was like, well, let's just go home. This is it. Well, it was a tough night for the nation. Took some recovering. Took probably till Biden won to 
somewhat recover from it. Maybe not even then. Um, you started your own consulting group after the election though, right? I did. Tell me about that. That's a so, very different move than what you had done up to that point. Yeah. So for, for Hillary's, um, like after that, I started, um, you know, I did some like two months of wind down with her and then I moved over to a consulting basis. I was still doing Hillary stuff, but I started, um, it's called Bluebird Consulting. Um, why that name? Well, for people who don't speak German, uh, Vogel means bird in German. So. Oh, yeah, it does. Yeah. So it's kind of my name, <laughs> but <laughs> very few people get it. All those years I studied German, I didn't pick it up. That's embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> so nice name for a consulting group. Um, who are your clients? I still do Hillary's stuff. Mm -hmm. um, still winding that down? Yep, still winding that down. Amazing. Yep. <laughs> and um, at some point I started doing DNC stuff again. I compile it and I file it. So I filed the report. Yeah. So you're in charge of the former presidential report from 2016, the Democratic National Committee. Who else? The Biden campaign. I do that one too. <laughs> you were in charge of the, the Biden report as well. Yes. How did you land that? Or is it just like you're the go-to kid now? Um, I hope I'm the go-to kid <laughs> now. I mean, those are kind of the premier clients in the country, wouldn't you say? Yeah, they they definitely take a lot of work. <laughs> <laughs> so with the Biden campaign, um, again, it's you meet so many people along the way and you work hard. And if you find that you're suited to it, then people know who to call when they're starting up a campaign and that's an early call that you have to make. Um, and so, yeah, some folks that I'd known from previous campaigns, actually the Hillary campaign, I got a call and they asked if I wanted to do it. Was that eventful in any way? I mean, it had some ups and downs in the beginning, but it, I think the biggest thing was COVID right after South Carolina or like two weeks after South Carolina everything shut down. I had been working remotely before that. So it wasn't a huge change for me. Someone's got to deal with checks coming in. Someone's got to deal with, you know, like that paperwork. Is that coming to you? At first, some of it did. I think when the campaign was first starting up, you know, yeah, checks would come to me. I deposited them. And then as they hired more staff and that switched over to someone in Philadelphia. But then especially when the office shut down, like at that point, other people were handling checks. And although people couldn't go into the office in groups, they could get permission to go in like, okay, on Mondays, this person can go in masked up, you know, COVID tested and like take all the mail and take it home and then come back the next week to deposit stuff, pick up more stuff. Are you then running multiple clients simultaneously? Yes. A lot of the same deadlines. Yes. Did you, did you hire staff? I do. I had, well, so in the campaign last year, um, I had two staff and now um, we just have one. Um, I hired my brother because I had him doing, um, like right after I'd started my own consulting shop, I was just me for a while, but he just did some like data entry at one point for me. And so he learned NGP doing that. He lives in LA and he was 
younger brother? Older brother. Older brother. Yeah. And he was um he was driving home from work and he worked at a law firm um as like a I think he was office manager or paralegal and you know, he so he had to work, you know, eight to five, which is uh rush hour <laughs> in LA. And so he would spend over an hour each way on the road to go twelve miles. And so, you know, he just called me one day just because he had time to kill. And um yeah, he was just talking about how he wanted to look for a new job that was closer and I just said, Well, why don't you just come work for me full time? I think it could work. So he talked to his wife and, you know, he was happy to do it. He has a couple little kids and he gets to take them to school now. And yeah, he was happy to work from home and that's been going for a few years now. Is it hard for him to have little sister as boss? <laughs> uh, maybe. Well, my sister-in-law sometimes makes fun of him for it, but um, I think it's okay. I mean, I, I trust him. When he first started, we went through all the rules. And I think he figured out that Taryn kind of knows a lot of people and knows this business and knows what she's talking about. A lot of things he, he acts pretty independently on at this point. Yeah. Well, that sounds a, a, a nice little family business. I've known a lot of compliance consultants and some have been sort of sole operators and some have built firms where they have lots of statewide clients or lots of congressional clients, and then they've built up some staff. Where would you like to take Bluebird in the long run? Ooh, I get asked that a lot. Um, I mean, I like the idea of building a firm, but I don't know if that's anything beyond like an idea because I'm very hands-on. I have trouble letting go of things. I'm so into the details that it's tough to let go of things. Like even when my brother started working for me, it was, I'd be like, oh, this is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. And, you know, he's learned since then. And I know that's part of like training people, but I kind of think that maybe that's why like people will come and hire me. I'm not giving this to someone who hasn't been doing this for you know, 10 plus years now. That's often the challenge in scaling consulting type of work where you have to clone yourself. Also, sometimes it's not a good fit for certain types of people to build an enterprise. You might actually find yourself making less money and having management headache and all that. It depends on, on what you want and, and takes a lot of thinking, I think, about about how to do it in a way that fits you. Yeah. And I do, I like the work. That's the thing. I like putting together FEC reports and being like, wow, look at this. Bounce to the bank, to the penny. <laughs> like, yeah. But and, if you had uh, 20 people doing them, you could help a lot more campaigns. That's true. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'd be interested to see what you do with yourself as you go into the future. Is there a question that I should have asked you about the world of compliance for the Democratic Party that I haven't? Not that I can think of. In terms of other compliance people, I think they're all wonderful. Um, all of them? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it's a community that we're not, you know, 
it's, I know when I first started, you know, I had coffee with a couple of people and they were like, you know, we're not, you know, someone might not be the best fit for a client and that's fine. And sometimes you have conflicts with people or conflicts, you know, like not like fights, but, um, <laughs> but like, you know, you can't take on a client, which is fine. Um, but as long as we have like a good relationship amongst each other, we'll send clients to each other. And last year, especially was so busy that, yeah, we just sent clients like, you know, I'd be like, okay, well, here's a couple of people that, you know, like I'd recommend people to other people and vice versa. Yeah, because you must get like Senate campaigns coming to you and yeah. do you turn them away? I would love more Senate campaigns. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we have a good amount of congressionals right now. How many clients are you up to? We're still shutting down two from last two congressionals from last year. Five congressionals, two Senate, one presidential. <laughs> that does leave a lot to others. Yeah. We do a handful of joint fundraising committees. I really like joint fundraising committees. But I'll take more Senate clients or more congressional clients. I love them. They're great. <laughs> All righty. Well, good to talk to you. Good to get to know you. I don't think we've ever met before. Nope, but, we have not. Yeah. And. Uh, I wish you luck with the enterprise going forward. Thank you. It was great to talk to you. That was Taryn Vogel. Taryn is at Bluebird Consulting. Well, actually, can't find her website. Maybe that's appropriate. This is Nathaniel G. Perlman with the Great Battlefield Podcast. You can find us at greatbattlefield.com or by searching for Great Battlefield in places where podcasts are found.